This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is John Wynn, CFO of Kyriba. You're listening to CFO Thought Leader Podcast with Jack Sweeney. This is episode 636. The U.S. is the biggest market for Siemens. We have over 50,000 employees. Siemens has been working to still maintain the Siemens umbrella and the Siemens name, of course, but to split off the operational businesses to make sure um, that they can run their businesses as effectively and efficiently as possible. So, for example, Siemens Healthineer was IPO'd a few years ago. Um, Siemens Energy is preparing for an IPO. Um, Siemens Mobility, as I mentioned, was in in the works to merge with another company called Alstom, and um, the European Union actually blocked that merger. There are a lot of different paths that the company is, is going on, and there's a big strategy to make sure that the businesses really are focused on the business. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak with Marsha Smith, CFO of Siemens USA and Siemens Mobility. Only last year, Siemens Mobility was about to merge with another company when the European Union blocked that merger. It was just one of a number of unexpected developments that preceded Marsha Smith stepping into the CFO role of Siemens USA this past January. We speak to Marsha Smith about 2020, a transformative year for Siemens that's been preparing to split off multiple business operations and a year Marsha will long remember as she helps lead Siemens USA through a stubborn pandemic. Our discussion begins after this. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt your need to evolve, your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, visit us at Workday.com. Marsha Smith, CFO of Siemens USA and Siemens Mobility. Marsha, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us, Marsha. As you you might know, we always begin with a question uh, where we ask our guests to look back for us and share with us some of those experiences they feel prepared them for a CFO role. What comes to mind for you? So, um, <laughs> there are there's so many experiences. First of all, maybe I've been with Siemens for 24 years, which is kind of unusual in this day and age. Um, it's unusual when it comes to my friends, my family. Um, and, and over that period of time, there's just been so many, so many people that I've worked with, so many things that I've gotten to see. Um, I moved to New York in 2004, actually, from Atlanta. I started in Montreal and Siemens moved to Atlanta and then New York. 
and uh, I was in charge. We have this position called a commercial project manager. manager. It's the finance manager for projects, for large projects. And after that project ended, um, I was one of the head negotiators for a very large follow-on contract that we had in New York. So it was multi-hundreds of millions of dollars. And as part of the bid team, we had our bid project manager. I was the commercial bid manager. We had our legal team involved, of course, the technical folks. Um, And my role was all of the commercial topics, so the financial topics, which meant the calculation and so on. But also, together with the legal team, I was in charge of negotiating the consortium agreement or the joint venture agreement with our partners um, and the contract terms with our customer and just having that broad sense of more than just the numbers was really important. We spent a very long time working out the details of the contract terms, of the scope terms, various legal items, whether it was intellectual property or, or limitations of liability, what have you. Um, but what what really was interesting for me is the the focus on the external world in finance very often um, we're internally focused um, looking at our results or forecasting results working on accounting um, and this gave me the opportunity to negotiate with a customer to negotiate with external partners um, and it was really fun it was fun to be part of that team especially because we won the project so that was one of the one of my key memories of working from C- at Siemens um, because it was so broad and because our team successfully won a project. Um, and another one was after that negotiation, I got promoted to run a business. And then a few years later, in 2013, um, Siemens decided that we were going to acquire a company called Invensys Rail. This is in the mobility space. And Invensys was a global acquisition, but in the U.S., actually, it ended up being a reverse integration because in the U.S., we were only 200 people in our division and Invensys had 700. So even though they were coming into Siemens and clearly being acquired by Siemens, um, the culture of the company was strong because there was so, so such a big population. They were just a much larger entity than we were. And I had to uh, partner with the CEO of the business. He became the CEO. He he remained as the CEO of the combined uh, Siemens and Ventus team in the United States. And I was his CFO partner. And together, you know, we had to run a business. But for him, it was new because he had no idea about Siemens processes and rules and how we did things. And I had to learn how to run a much larger business. And together, the two of us were a pretty good team because he knew the marketplace, he knew the customers, I could help him internally, and and we were able to pitch to our entire teams to follow us uh, on this journey, this integration journey. It was very, very difficult. Um, if if, if, If anyone has ever done an integration, they know, because you have to convince the the entity that you're buying of the processes of the acquiring company. So I had to sell Siemens to all of these individuals. And again, you know, even though I was responsible for the finance arm, um, I really tried to work together with the CEO as his partner 
to make sure that I wasn't just in charge of finance and said, you know, the rest is is up to you to do. Um, we really worked on everything together to build the team and, and to bring it together. It was, it, was, it was quite a difficult experience and, again, very rewarding once it was over. Let's see. Uh, another another experience, actually, is my current job as, as CFO of Mobility. Uh, it's an operational role. Uh, we're responsible for the mobility business or the transportation business in all of North America, my partner and I, my uh, new partner and I. And when I joined, in, when I was named as the CFO of Siemens Mobility in 2017, it was June, and in September there was an announcement that Siemens Mobility was going to be spun off and was going to be joi um, joining with Alstom, one of our key global competitors. So everything that I had in mind that I was going to start working on was <laughs> thrown out of the window, and we had to completely refocus on preparing for a very large carve-out and, and integration with a uh, competitor. So a carve-out means that we had to take all of the assets, all of the liabilities, all of the people, all of the contracts from... Siemens Corp or Siemens Industries, the entity where the mobility business was housed, and create our own legal entity in preparation for um, the, the merger, the merger with Alstom. And uh, that meant that I became the CFO of Siemens Mobility Inc., which exists today, and we had to put together our own accounting department, our own legal department. HR and, and tax and treasury and so on, and, and get the people from the other Siemens entities to come join our team and, and become as self-sustaining as possible. Um, of course, we still had agreements with the, the core Siemens companies to, to continue doing some of our functions and tasks for us, but creating our own legal entity and creating a team of both operational executives and corporate executives um, was really eye-opening for me. Sometimes in big corporations, you don't realize what one other department does. Um, you, you know, people are focused on their own thing. I was focused on the operation. And now that I have uh, corporate folks and corporate teams reporting into me, it's, it's a whole eye-opening. Um, it, it, it is just eye-opening to see how important the corporate piece is. It's very easy to, you know, uh, assume that someone else in another team is is not as worthy or as not as important as, as your team. And putting all the different departments together was really a lesson for everyone in our group. Um, you know, I've, I've been making a very big effort to make sure that everyone respects each other, that someone with in a more internal corporate role, supports the operational external teams and, and vice versa so that everybody works together and makes sure we do the best for our company. So um, that was that was quite a challenge and, again, very interesting experience. I find over the years the, the harder the experience is, the more you learn from it. So all of the challenges that I've been through over time have, have definitely gotten me where I am today. Uh, some great uh, details behind your experiences that you shared with us. I, going back in time to that first experience that uh, I would 
describe it as external facing, one where you were uh, dealing with stakeholders from the outside. How far back was that in your career? And I'm wondering, was there anything that set you apart that made you uh, perhaps a good candidate to, to, to play that role at that place in time? Sure. Well, um, when I moved to New York in 2004, like I mentioned, I, I was the CPM or the commercial project manager for a large project. We were in a joint venture. And I'll never forget that was, yeah, 2004, that was 16 years ago. Um, and I'll never forget when my first week on the job, the project manager came up to me and said, hey, Marsha, you know, we need to ask for this change order or, or whatever and, and write a letter to the customer. I thought, oh, my goodness. I don't know how to write a letter to the customer. I'm a finance person. I, I know spreadsheets. I know calculations. But I don't know how to word a letter to request something from a customer. And, and of course, nobody cared that I didn't know. So I, I got up working with um, the technical team, the legal team, and we put together a letter. And that was the beginning of my external facing experience. And I think working on a project where you're forced to negotiate with a customer to ask for payment, to ask for change orders, um, to work with partners and make sure everything is coordinated. Um, you know, payments, monthly payments had to be coordinated. Asking for additional funds from the customer had to be coordinated with our joint venture partners. All of that got me ready for, for the role. So I actually had been external facing since 2004, but not quite at that level where everybody would look at me at the negotiation table when I was speaking and everyone would look at the lawyers when they were speaking. It was quite an experience. Um, I'll never forget, actually, at, at some of those customer negotiations, there's a lot of people around the table, 30, 40 people sometimes, because we deal with public agencies and, and there's big crowds that come to those meetings on our side as well, because we try to get all of our experts in the room. And... Uh, one of the, the project managers looked at me when I asked a question and said, and who are you? <laughs> and, and it's intimidating because people underestimate, you know, that everybody has a, a role to play in a room like that. So, you know, I, I said who I was, I repeated my question, and then over time during those negotiations, a rapport was developed. And, and like I said, it was a very successful negotiation because we ended up winning the contract. Now, you've had multiple finance leadership roles inside Siemens to date. Some perhaps were greater milestones than others. That might have been, you know, seven or 10 years ago that you were, uh, it was obvious you were going to become a leader of one of the, one of the groups, one of the divisions, one of the operations, whatever it might have been. Um, but when did that, when, what was the milestone where, and I think it happened before this latest milestone of becoming CFO Siemens USA. Yes. So um, people might not believe me when I say it, but I, I swear it's true. Um, I never had a plan to be the CFO. I never had a, a, a vision to, to, to reach the positions that I'm in today. I actually always just did my job. and And that's what I tell people today is that, if you do your job and you do it well, if you take a job and work really hard and you really enjoy it, because it's very hard to do well at a job that you don't enjoy, um, but if you really enjoy your work and you put in the effort and put in the energy, someone will notice. Someone will notice. And, and 
I was noticed, um, I would say, throughout my career, I just really enjoyed working on projects. I really enjoyed working in teams with project managers. I think it's important to have a positive attitude about everything. Obviously, not every day. I mean, there are things that are frustrating or, or, or tiring in everybody's lives, um, in, inside work, outside work. But in general, just to be positive, just to be somebody who people enjoy working with, help to get one notice. And I would say I became a finance leader uh, during this negotiation, during that customer negotiation, because that's when I was noticed by our management in Germany or a German company. Um, and we have to go through approval processes and so on. And I was noticed when I was debating or arguing for what we thought we needed to get and, and where we were negotiating with the customers. And I was, you know, you have to be forceful to make sure you get what you need to get for the company, for yourself to successfully finalize a discussion and so on. And and somebody saw the drive, I guess, um, and then and then asked me to run one of the businesses. At, at the time, the business was quite small. Um, but like I said, then when we bought Invensys, it grew to be a much larger, more sustainable, more local business. So We think of... Um... Uh, developing talent is really a, a leadership responsibility, but I suspect somehow your emphasis on teams, your awareness of team members, uh, that you might, uh, if you look back, if I was to ask you, when did you first begin to develop talent within Siemens? It would go back before you had, uh, way before perhaps, you had a CFO title. Can you can you reflect on that? That's my uh, um, suspicion, but uh, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. Um you're right. <laughs> uh, so when when we when we talk about developing talent, sometimes it's um, pigeonholed, I would say, into only the department that you work in or one works in. So for me, it would be finance, and that's that's not always the case. Of course, we have to develop talent in, inside our own departments to take over and to prep and, and to be able to delegate work to and, and so on. But I think talent really is everywhere. I think one of the important things about working in a team is you see as part of a team who is really great, um, who goes you know the extra mile, so to speak, and, and doesn't matter if they're not in your department. It could be a lawyer that needs to be promoted and promoted, you know, not, not necessarily job promotion, but just visible, made visible inside an organization. Um, sometimes in corporations, people get lost. Uh, because there's just so many, so many employees. But I find that if you talk about, oh, that guy is really great. Look at what this person did. The team managed to successfully negotiate or or get this opportunity. Um, it's very important to build the team around you, a cross-functional team around you, to do what you need to do for the business. No business relies only on one department, only on engineering, only on finance only on legal. Everybody has to work together and everybody has a piece of the puzzle to make sure um, that they're doing the collectively the right thing for the customer. Um, in the finance organization, we started with interns, actually. I, when, I, when I came to New York, I had a couple of interns reporting to me. And again, you know, I, I had never managed anyone before and you have to find things to, to give to these, to these employees. 
they were really, really good. Every time I would give them work, they would just come back for more and more and more. And, and um, it, even just having an intern report to you early on lets you allows you to learn how to delegate and then how to see if the work product comes back as a good work product and then give more and more so that um, your own time can be freed up for other topics and, and just to have somebody under you that you trust is, is priceless, actually. So it started there. And then, of course, as my career progressed, a team reporting to you is everything. If, if, if you don't have the right people in the right jobs, it could only backfire. It looks bad on the whole organization. So really the goal is to make sure to, to coach and train and always talk to employees um, to make sure that they're going down the right path and moving down the right way. And, and also reconfiguring the team when it's not working out. Just, just because um, you have a great idea for one of your employees on how, uh, what role to give them, what job to give them, doesn't mean it'll always succeed. But it's worth it to, to try, and it's worth it to coach. And then, and then like I said, reshuffle when needed. Well, we want to. Uh, we always ask our guests to tell us about their company. Now, most of us will likely believe we we know Siemens, we understand Siemens. However, uh, for some of us, anyway, our opinions, our, our knowledge of that company go back so far uh, that over the last ten years, clearly, there's been so much uh, transformation for all types of businesses. And uh, well, for instance, your your. CFO of Siemens uh, Mobility today, so there's a lot that's happened at Siemens that we don't know about. Um, maybe you can just tell us tell us about Siemens USA today and and Siemens Mobility. Today. Sure. Um, so Siemens USA is a subsidiary of Siemens Germany, and globally, we have around 385,000 employees. Uh, we're in 200 countries. The U.S. is the biggest market for Siemens. We have over 50,000 employees in the U.S., which is huge because Siemens is not necessarily a household name in this country, and yet we employ more people than, than many other very well-known American companies. Um, we are in a number of different fields. So we're in the healthcare industry. We're in the transportation industry. That's where that's mobility. Um, we're in uh, smart infrastructure where we do building solutions, fire alarms, security systems, um, various different energy efficient systems for our, our uh, buildings across the country. Um, we have a digital industries branch, which um, provides software in the semiconductor space uh, for the automotive industry. So we have an energy arm with uh, power generation and so on, that's getting spun off right now. So it's really quite a vast conglomerate. And over the last several years, Siemens has been working to still maintain the Siemens umbrella and the Siemens name, of course, but to split off the operational businesses to make sure um, that they can run their businesses as effectively and efficiently as possible. So, for example, Siemens Healthineer was IPO'd a few years ago. Um, Siemens Energy is preparing for an IPO. Um, Siemens Mobility, as I mentioned, was in 
in the works to merge with another company called Alstom, and um, the European Union actually blocked that merger. So, so there is a lot of there are a lot of uh, different paths that the company is is going on, and there's a big strategy to make sure that the businesses really are focused on the business and and focused on growing their businesses. And and you know during the COVID well, we're still in COVID times. I was going to say during the COVID times, but ever since March, I should rephrase. Um, ever since March, we have been very, very lucky that we are part of everything that we do is essential business. It's a considered essential business, you know, supporting the healthcare industry. We actually developed an antibodies test that was recently approved by the FDA supporting pop-up hospitals. We provide the safety security um, systems to make sure that when pop-up hospitals were coming up in different parts of the country, they had the right infrastructure to make that happen. Transportation industry, we're we're part of a lot of different um, infrastructure projects around around the country, whether it's on the road or on the rail. Um, we had to keep going to get keep those moving and so on. So even though you know our business is clearly impacted like everybody else's, I, I'm, I'm very proud to say that Siemens supported the country and, and the progress of various parts of our economy uh, along the way and throughout the last few months. You know, now, uh, as you shared with us, the, you stepped in, I believe, to the, the Siemens USA role um, in January of 2020. Yeah. January. Yeah. Start of 2020, right before, of course, uh, the pandemic arrives here in America anyway. Yep. Um, but, you know, and, and traditionally I would ask you, you know, did you reorganize uh, finance? What, what, what undertaking have you, you know, made a priority? But this is such a, a large organization, as you described for us. And just uh, the number of people who had that role prior to you, you have had the opportunity to observe them, what their priorities may have been, how they saw their role as the finance chief versus now how you view your role. Or maybe you're going to tell me, you know what, in many ways, it's still the same job. However, there are, you know, different uh, priorities, in a sense, strategic priorities. What would you share with us? Can you reflect a little bit on how that CFO role has perhaps changed in some way? The character of it, the the way you spend your time is probably uh, somewhat different from how past CFOs have. What would you share with us? Well, 10 years ago, to be honest, I didn't even have access to the Siemens U.S. CFO um, the, the organization was structured quite differently. We had divisions, uh, the CFO, the CFOs in the variety of the countries, but like I said, the U.S. is, is the largest one outside of Germany, is um, he had all of the divisions working for him. So at that point, we hadn't spun off or IPO'd, not spun off, we hadn't IPO'd Health and Ears. Um, we weren't in the process of spinning off the energy group. Everything was under the Siemens Corporation, Siemens Corporate Umbrella. So his responsibility was really for the entirety of the business in the United States. And, and I, I believe at the time he was even responsible for all of the Americas, so North America, South America. And the strategic part, I imagine, his focus was on ensuring 
obviously, you know, clean numbers, good numbers, governance across all of the different countries in, in North and South America, making sure that the business understanding and leadership was there, helping to find um, talent to, to rotate in and out of the various positions. I think the difference now for me is, first of all, I have two roles. So I can't spend all of my time on one of them. My time is, is split. And depending on the day, I would obviously spend more time on the corporate job versus the mobility job. It really depends on, on what's happening that day or that week or where the priorities are. Um, but my my focus is, you know, it's a little different. So, for example, Siemens Healthineers is an IPO'd company. I, I don't need to worry or focus on their financial results. I don't need to focus on their operations. I don't need to focus on their governance because that's all very well managed. Same thing with Siemens Energy. What I focus on is the entirety of our population in the U.S. So, you know, none of our customers, none of the government stakeholders, because we do quite a bit of government business, they don't really care that we have different Siemens legal entities. They just see us as Siemens. And what I try to do with our CFO community and our executive management community on the finance side, whether it's the operational leads of the different businesses, smart infrastructure, health and ears, energy, mobility, and so on, or the corporate functions like tax, treasury, accounting, um, supply chain audit, and so on, is I try to bring everybody together to make sure that everybody has the same information. And it's really important to know what's happening in our company, even though sometimes we are far removed from it on a day-to-day -day basis. But, you know, what, what one group, one group's actions could potentially negatively or positively affect another group's opportunities in the market. Um, so, so information is key. Making sure we know what's happening in our company is key because that helps the individual leaders the individual CFOs make the right business decisions. Um, I, I'll give you an example. You know, during COVID, March, April, um, I was two or three months into this role, and we started to have more regular meetings. We started to have monthly calls just to make sure everyone was okay, that we knew what the other was doing, that um, when Health and Ears was developing their antibody tests, you know, it's interesting for the rest of the organization to know so we could be proud of what another arm of Siemens is working on. When digital industries and, and our government technologies arm started to make face masks from uh, 3D printing, that is interesting to know. And, and just having that information to be able to tell our customers and our employees to keep everyone energized is really important. Um, you know, how... Uh, when, when the CARES Act was enabled or enacted, to, to decide altogether what parts of it we were going to take advantage of, like, for example, delaying the FICA payments versus what parts of it we were not going to even come close to, like loans, business loans, because that wasn't meant for a company like Siemens. That was meant for small businesses. And just making sure that we are all aligned, make sure no, that nobody you know, takes on a loan um, that's, not, that's not meant for us was very important for us because a lot of what we do at a corporate level also helps make sure that the Siemens name and our brand and, um, remains you know, positive in, in the public's eye.
So a lot of a lot of what I am doing now with my most senior staff, who really they don't need my help day to day, they know exactly what to do. I mean, I there's there's nothing I can help the tax department with other than a conversation. Um, they're they're very high level and professional. Um, they're they're professionals. They know how to do their job. But still, we need to talk through some issues and we need to make a decision um, on behalf of our entire company. And, and so, it's really. It's really all about communication. The Siemens mobility uh, part of your job, and it's not a small part of your job, no. I understand. Um, your lines of sight into Siemens mobility and how that business is performing, and you shared with us the chapter where uh, the EU uh, said not, not no to a, a potential merger, I suppose. Yep. Um, your lines aside today, how do you measure the performance of that business? Are there certain numbers that you can share with us? Not specific numbers, but what, what metrics are you, you looking at to understand how the mobility sector is, is uh, operating for Siemens? So, so we have our four key KPIs that we're measured on is orders, revenues, profit, and free cash flow. Um, that's what we drive our business towards. We have targets that are set at the beginning of the year and that move up and down depending on our successes or on situations. Um, obviously, the COVID situation didn't help profitability. We had to shut down um, our facility in Sacramento for a couple of days when the governor of California said only essential businesses can work, and then we needed to make sure we were considered an essential business. Um, so, so you know, there there were days, uh, there were a couple of days where we had sent everybody home. And, you know, when you have a 1,000 people or over a 1,000 people in a facility, it's not cheap to send everybody home, um, especially those that can't work from home. So the four metrics are, are really the key drivers financially. Of course, I mean, you can't run your business only on numbers. You have to run it based on employee satisfaction, customer satisfaction, quality of the products you deliver. And and if if we manage to address all of those factors, you know, are our customers satisfied? Do they give us repeat orders? Um, are our employees satisfied? Are they working the way we would, would hope that they work in order to get projects and products out at in, 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 in schedule, in quality, um, all of those drive the financial results. Uh, to me, financial results are either what happened in the past, what we accomplished in the past, or what we hope to accomplish in the future. And the goal that we have in mobility is to make sure that everybody understands what those are so we can all drive towards them together. And what I like to always say to my finance team is, it's not only about looking at spreadsheets. You know, if, if I look at a spreadsheet and I look at either actual results or forecasted results or forecasted projections, I should say, um, I don't want those to be somebody else's results. They have to be our collective numbers. So every employee should be able to look at our actuals or our forecasts and say, I helped achieve this number or I helped achieve this success or I helped to bring in this cash from our customers, and also to be able to say, I'm working on the future. I'm working to make sure that happens. I'm working to make sure that the train leaves the factory on time or that our, our system keeps 
riders safe along the when they take a train ride and so on. So that's really our goal is to make sure everybody feels part of the company and the success and the drive that's required to meet those four KPIs that we look at all the time. You've, you've mentioned COVID and it, it has been part of our conversation, I think, throughout, which is the way it should be. And I wonder, as far as scenario planning goes, whether that's become how that may have evolved over time for you as uh, you took on these new responsibilities. And in the springtime, we were all sort of uh, trying to understand better where things were headed. Maybe you had uh, uh, initiated some uh, enhanced scenario planning. And, and I'm wondering if that's evolved in what you're relying on today. Can you share some thoughts on that? So I have, I would say, let's say, two views of this. One is my CM, Siemens U.S. CFO view, and the other one is my Siemens mobility view. So when it comes to the Siemens um, U.S. view, we did do uh, scenario planning. There was, you know, is, is the bounce back going to be a U-shaped, V-shaped, L-shaped? We did all kinds of different shapes. And, and at the end of the day, it's, it's quite difficult because um, a global scenario is not necessarily a local scenario. And some industries are suffering much more than others. So, for example, you know, in, in the healthcare space, if, if individuals don't restart going for elective procedures um, in hospitals, then the hospitals likely won't have any money to continue doing business and investing in their own space, whether it's, you know, radiology equipment or, or full service packages, what have you. Um, same thing with transportation. Um, I don't think anybody expected that public transport wouldn't be used for this long. I don't think anyone expected that the billions of dollars that were part of the first CARES Act um, would be running out um, you know, and we're not even through. We're not even through the, the whole COVID outbreak yet. So the scenarios really do change all the time. I really think it depends on the industry. So if if an infrastructure project is in progress, chances are it'll continue. And the customers, especially if it's a government customers or public agencies, they have the funding secured for things like that. Now, when the next projects will start, that's that's the billion-dollar question, I guess. Um, on the product space, um, if, if office buildings are empty, um, if, if construction on new skyscrapers is slowed down, there's a chance that our automation systems aren't required as quickly as we had planned. So we're adjusting our forecasts essentially monthly at this point. Um, and, and we're hoping that, you know, in the next few months, things get back to seemingly a normal situation, even though I don't think anyone really knows what normal means at this point. I, I live in New York City, and, and it's really just hard to imagine all the buildings being full again anytime soon. So so it'll be, yeah, it'll be, I, I don't know. I, you know, like I said, we adjust, we adjust our forecasts all the time. In, in the mobility space, um, we're very fortunate to have a healthy backlog. So our teams can continue working on that backlog and our shorter term 
plans are based on that. And what we're trying to do now is make sure that we we keep building on this backlog and, and make sure that if our customers do have funding for infrastructure projects or for improvement projects that, that we can capture that to make sure that, you know, we don't skip a beat, so to say. But it, it's it's quite difficult to look into the future and really know what will happen in, in three months, six months, nine months from now. Well, thank you uh, for sharing your thoughts on that. We always like to ask uh, what we refer to as a finance strategic moment. We're looking for really is a a moment of insight that you had along the way during your career, financial insight that allowed you to avoid a risk or pursue an opportunity or structure things differently. Does anything come to mind? And again, I know you have quite a few to choose from, but we're just looking for one that you can relate to us now uh, as far as a finance strategic moment goes. So I have one which is top of mind, but it's actually related to one of my team members. I hope that's okay. Um, as I mentioned, you know, when we in in our finance community, we try to do more than finance. We try to be business partners by learning contract terms, scope of work terms, and so on, so we can help externally as well, or not not help but support the team um, internally and externally. And one of my team members, I don't know, it's probably ten years ago now, was negotiating a contract with a customer. And this was an interesting contract because we had to provide an interoperable solution with one of our competitors. So Siemens and one of our competitors were in the same room negotiating one contract with our customer because they wanted to make sure um, that they had two companies who were able to do the same thing so they wouldn't get stuck in a sole source situation. And what what ended up happening is because, you know, on the Siemens side, the finance management, the finance team works on the numbers, the calculations, the risks, but also understands the contracts and how the contract terms impact the financials. Um, she was able to answer questions on the spot. She was able to you know, say, well, if you can't give me this term, it'll cost that much. She was able to have a much more robust negotiation with our customer, whereas our competitor, they were split more, you know, finance did finance, contract management did contract management, legal did legal, and they were much more um, siloed. And whenever the same question was asked of our competitor, the answer was, I'll have to go back and check. I'll have to go back and check. And what we realized then is just how wonderful our way of working is because it really empowers one person to make the decisions right on the spot because they're more well-rounded. They know the entirety of the project, the entirety of the bid. And it really was a lesson that what we were doing was the right approach, that teaching our finance individuals more than finance, making them understand how to handle risk management and, and how to talk with customers externally about more than just um, the, cal the price calculations really proved to be an advantage uh, in this one particular situation, of course, and many, many others um, over the last several years. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, 
you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're back and we've entered the mentoring round with CFO Marsha Smith. We like to have you look back to that first time you had the uh, took on the CFO title. And again, this is probably that time where you felt the, the weight of responsibility really fall on your shoulders. And uh, just to, if you could go back in time and give yourself – uh, some advice as far as being a new leader, um, and and maybe uh, this is uh, perhaps just a a pain point for you that you wish uh, if you only had someone whisper in your ear this advice sooner. What would that be? What what comes to mind? I mean, I still have to give this advice to myself every day, but trust yourself. If somebody else trusted to put you into this position, they knew what they were doing. So you know what you're doing, also. So. Don't be so nervous. Don't be scared. Just go. Wow. You, you know, we've heard it said before, but it came to you so quickly, so easily. It just, uh, it'll resonate all the more, I have a feeling. Um, Is there a, a, a personal habit or part of a daily routine uh, that you have that you think over time has contributed in some way to your professional success? So, this might might not sound like the obvious answer, but um, I need to walk my dogs. Now, during COVID, I walk them in the mornings. Before that, I wouldn't really have, they would have to wake up too early to do it. But um, I find in the morning when I walk my dogs before work, it helps me clear my mind. It helps me also picture what the day is going to look like and what, what has to be done today, this week, this month who I need to talk to, who I can't forget to call, and so on. So, um, And then I walk them actually after work, too. Um, and that also helps me <laughs> calm down and end my day because I find the day doesn't end, um, especially now in COVID, working from home. It's, it's nonstop. And, and sometimes, sometimes clearing my mind is very, very helpful. Um, it never gets fully cleared, I have to admit, but um, just having that that moment of being outdoors for me is very important. Nice, and it's interesting. We hear so much about families spending time together, but the fact is, there's a uh, during COVID, there's probably a lot more pet time, and and uh, I think for a lot of people, it is a it is a a way of relaxing and unwinding uh, when they spend time with their pets. You had told us that uh, you actually didn't have a book selection for us, but you you reflected on something I thought, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us, I thought it was an interesting, and uh, I think uh, many finance executives and leaders might relate to it as well. Can you can you share with us what you, you had mentioned to me? I like reading um, fiction. I, <clears throat> I, find, I find... As escapism. Yes, it, it absolutely is escapism. Um, I find, you know, we work so hard, um, all day, every day, especially I find that 
the more people one leads, the more conversation one has during the day. Um, so my days are full of one-on-ones and, you know, different kinds of meetings. I really make an effort to have a lot of one-on-ones, and sometimes they become coaching sessions. So at the end of the day, I, I just don't have the energy for additional coaching. Um, and I really just like to read fiction to escape. Understood. And thank you for uh, illustrating it so well. I think many finance leaders can relate to what you shared. We're up to our final question where we get to ask you to look forward finally. And we want to know what your priorities are as a CFO over the next 12 months. What comes to mind? Well, I have personal and professional priorities. (laughs) Personally, I want my kids to go back to school. Um, Professionally, um, we have to see how to make it through this without, you know, long-lasting impacts on our employees, on our share price, on our customer base, on our on our vendor base too. We we deal with a lot of small businesses. We need to make sure, you know, if our business keeps going, that we keep them in in, in business as well. So there's a lot of responsibility to try to um, minimize the impact of COVID and and make sure we can sail through this storm as, as, as seamlessly as, as, as best as possible. Um, I think the priority is really to maintain our order pipeline. So to work with our customers, understand what they need, what they can afford, um, and, and to help bring in those orders. Because once the order is in, then um, our employees have things to work on and that drives the rest of the financial results. So uh, I I really do hope that the money doesn't run dry in our businesses and in our industries and that if if it does in one particular place that we could use the people who work for Siemens in another part of the, the business. So that's what the focus really is for me is just to see how how to keep our business going as, as, as much as possible during this time. Marcia Smith, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.